Welcome to the CTO Connection Podcast. I'm Peter Bell, and every couple of weeks, I'll be sharing interviews with top engineering leaders. Today, I'm talking with Scott Parker, VP of Engineering at Signal. Scott, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Oh, thanks for having me, Peter. It's a pleasure. You gave a presentation back in May at the inaugural Chicago CTO Summit about managing your people investment. For people who weren't there, what was that about? It's a talk about my approach to managing an organization at scale and really thinking through individual performance through the lens of how I think about an investment portfolio. So high level, you can think of this as for a responsible investor who probably has a 401k or some kind of long-term savings plan. Uh, maybe that's you, maybe it's not. I have no idea. But hopefully it's you. You probably have some mixture of bonds in that, relatively low return, but also low risk investments. You kind of know two years from now, pretty much what that bond is going to perform as. It's dependable, but also not surprising for, for better or for worse. Um, but then depending on where you are in, in your maturity, you also have a number of stocks. These, these stocks, uh, you want high returns out of it, but you also expect some volatility. Uh, you need to pay a little bit more attention to these stocks because many years and on average, you expect them to have upturns, but um, some stocks will underperform. Some stocks may significantly underperform. You may have to get involved and figure out how you uh, either change that trajectory or in some extreme cases, you know, find a, find a new stock to pick. So this is an incredibly reductive way to talk about human beings um, that I, I want to be clear in both this conversation and the talk in May that uh, this comes from a place of really wanting to help an entire organization grow and develop their careers and have ambitious goals that they find rewarding and, and make them more valuable to the company and, and grow their own abilities. But I need to do that at a 50-person, a 65-person organization where I can't be part of every single one of those. And so I, it's, it's my attempt to develop a framework for how do I be a proponent of the individuals but do that at scale. That makes sense. So what would be some of the criteria that would make somebody say a bond versus a stock? And, and how would you think about managing that portfolio? I think one of the biggest factors is honestly what that individual wants out of their career. Um, so I'll, I'll use me as an example, because in the course of my career, there's been times when I always want to be challenged. I always want to be growing. But I think there's sometimes I want that to look kind of like a roller coaster at the, the onset, going very high, very steep, very quickly. And other times where uh, I have other th priorities in life, where I'm getting married or buying a house or, or going through other things. And I don't necessarily want to come into to work and also uh, have a very intense experience in all parts of my life at all times, right? So I think part of this starts with having an honest conversation with each employee about where they're at in their career and in their life and kind of like what they're looking for. And then I think it's also mapping those expectations from the individual to what you need out of the business. So I'll give a couple of different examples here. Um, for most junior employees, I want them to, to kind of think of themselves as, as those kinds of stock investments that Really, from a business perspective, I'm taking a little bit of a, of a risk, a little bit of a gamble because I, I want that kind of very pleasant surprise. And I want to help them get to that place where both them and, and the business are, are surprised and, and delighted by their performance. But I expect that to take some, some iterations and I expect that to be, to be uneven, right? And so I think that's kind of the upside of, of this comparison when I, when, I, uh, when I talk about this. The flip side is, you know, let's say I have, um, I'll use a previous employer here as, a, as an example where we had a data center. We had one person that knew the how the switches in that data center worked, how the actual infrastructure works. That person was not looking for further growth in their career. And because of that knowledge silo, because of their impact around it, I was 100% fine with it. Um, as, as long as that truly matched their career ambitions, I was excited to have them kind of in a stable, steady state in their career and position. Does that make sense? 
Absolutely. So when you think about the high growth individuals, there are two common dimensions to that. One is growing as an individual contributor to become senior on principal engineer, and the other is growing through team lead, manager, director. Yep. Do you also balance the portfolio between those kind of two independent classes of stocks? I think you have to. The, the caveat I'll, I'll give anytime I'm talking about career paths is really that I think it's useful to talk about common patterns. Um, and I think you outlined those common patterns, right? The individual contributor, the team lead. I try not to focus too much on this on those as roles and as requirements, if nothing else, because it, it's very easy to create a situation where people expect the only way they advance in their career is they have to get that team lead. They have to get that manager title. And no matter how high growth your startup is, no matter how successful you are, at the end of the day, you only have so many teams. You only have so many team leads as a result of that. So I try, I try to be very cautious around making that too explicit and too much of a requirement for individuals. I certainly want to provide people that opportunity if that's actually what they're passionate about. But I would say just as many engineers are excited about leadership in other forms as opposed to that kind of explicit formal leadership you're talking about. It's really about... How do you think about the balance? Obviously, as you mentioned, some people are going to want to grow into management, which is great, but other people want to want to grow as more senior ICs. Are there things that you do to get a better sense for which career path they're on so you don't suddenly end up with a team of eight engineers, seven of which want to become managers? Yeah, I think for, for me, this framework really requires all managers to have a deliberate approach and process for how we track goals in the organization and how we think about every individual's desires. Because otherwise, some of my managers at a team level may have a pretty good intuitive sense of what their individual team members' goals and desires are. But if on every team, a manager has one person who wants to grow into a manager, then I need to get ahead of that problem. Because that means some of those people need to, to at least be coached in a slightly different direction. And so one of the things I'm a really big fan of is, is finding the right process of how do you roll this up into a succinct summarization so that an individual at my level in the organization where I'm managing directors and individual team managers can still have that insight into what are the individual goals rather than just some kind of vague, anonymized or uh, impersonal roll up of that so that I can start to identify some of those challenges. But you're absolutely right. You have to be thoughtful. Not Even if everyone is excited about management, uh, the reality is there's only so many of those positions we can support. There's only so many of those positions, whether they're stocks or bonds, that we can have in an organization. When you think of your personal career and the process of going from individual contributor to manager to kind of director and above, I've heard it sometimes summarized as you're building software, you're building people, and then you're building organizations. What was the transition like for you from individual contributor as you started to move into lead and, and management roles? Was that back in your group on days, moving from Obtiva or...? So it's it's super interesting, right? Because I think many people talk about that path you're describing as uh, kind of a straight line up and to the right in terms of somebody's seniorship, uh, seniority, and impact, and and everything you would define as leadership. For me, um, I need to find a better comparison than what I'm about to use because this is increasingly dated. But if you're familiar with the the comic like family, I think it's called Family Circus or Family Circle, uh, where there's that little kid Jeffy and he wanders around and like the line from point A to B is never a straight line. It's always wandering. It's always convoluted and, and twisting. Um, that's been my own trajectory as well. So to actually answer your question, I knew uh, when I was at Optiva, which was a, a small Chicago Ruby on Rails consulting shop from back in the day, uh, for those of your listeners who haven't worked in the industry for 10 years at this point, that I was interested in, in an expanded role in leadership um, when we were acquired by Groupon. That was kind of my opportunity to tie out engineering management for the first time. And 
I, I learned a lot from my time at Groupon and I'm incredibly grateful for that. But one of the things I, I thought I learned, which I, I was later corrected by, is that I really didn't like management. Uh, and I was convinced, you know what, I'm never going to do this again. And so when I left that, when I left Groupon, I deliberately went to kind of the, the polar opposite. I was the co-founding engineer of a very short-lived women's fashion startup you've never heard of. And from that experience, I, I went to Braintree and I joined Braintree as just a senior developer. And I was actually excited to, quote unquote, just write software. But inevitably, uh, at a growing business, there's, there's needs and there's challenges. And I found myself getting pulled back into management. And what at first was a slightly reluctant jump for me into that at Braintree, I realized uh, with a different set of parameters, with a different set team I was part of, I actually found it really rewarding and fulfilling. So... I think it's a, a long-winded way to, to say that uh, I'd always kind of knew that I wanted to uh, have an impact on uh, the people I worked with more than just the software I wrote. Um, exactly what that impact looked like and what that role was, it's always been a surprising journey. I'm sure the next step after this for me is also going to come equally as a surprise, but I've just learned to live with that uh, uncertainty. What was the first time you started running an organization where you had teams of teams? Yeah, so this would have been uh, during my time at, at Braintree. So the the project at Braintree, where I, I stepped into uh, managing teams, managing managers, um, started out as a very small, almost skunk works project with myself and two other very senior engineers. But we knew from the onset of this that if we were going to succeed in rethinking how payments worked, and particularly how Braintree leveraged cloud infrastructure, that this team was going to grow in time. So. We very quickly went through many of the phases that, um, from talking to other people who've lived through this, that like a true co-founder in a startup, they, they live through, right? What starts out as a lean, scrappy team of three in a couple of months is now that 10-person team. And I'm just able to kind of barely make it work as the individual manager. We go well past the expiration date at that point to becoming a 20-person engineering team that, again, I'm still managing single-handedly. And at that point, I'm just in meetings. I, I couldn't even describe to you the value I added to anybody um, except that I was in a lot of meetings. My calendar was impressive. So once I realized that I wasn't contributing a lot of value, then I needed to, to figure out, cool, how do, how do I make more managers? How do I scale myself? And thankfully, I was able to avoid one of the classic problems of startups because we were all part of a larger organization, part of Braintree, which is itself part of PayPal. I think many startups are forced to kind of draft their best engineers into management um, and just say, cool, you're good at software. Now now be good at people. Good luck. I, I had a little bit of a cheat mode since I had a larger organization I could draft off of. But that said, uh, most of that first team of managers I oversaw did come internally from this project. But I was able to match uh, people who were interested in management with my needs as opposed to making people managers when they don't actually care about it. And I think that's where a lot of startups classically fail. Did it make a difference being at Braintree, part of PayPal, in terms of having resources for training and onboarding new managers? Or did you find that you still had to do a lot of that kind of heavy lifting yourself? Yes and no. I, I think in, in certain ways, being part of Braintree in particular was was super useful for that, that our people organization there uh, was very forward thinking uh, and brought in uh, a couple of different management training programs. And like most management training, it's, it's useful, but it wasn't really very tailored to engineering management. Now, they brought this in at a time when I was a relatively experienced manager. I was managing teams of teams at that point. And so a generalized management training program was, was more or less relevant for me. But in terms of helping me solve the challenge of how do I how do I ramp up my own managers? How do I, again, kind of scale my own ability? 
um, we pretty quickly realized that a general management training program wasn't actually that useful for creating effective team level engineering managers. So in conjunction with two other people who were also uh, like director level engineering managers there, uh, we put together our own uh, engineering specific management training program. We called it the intro to management workshop. And it started from from very like first uh, first principles, like this: these are the practices of a manager and sort of culminated in really talking about like, from a philosophical perspective, what what is the value we add? What is uh, what is the so what of management? I think I've I've stayed in touch with a lot of people who went through that program, and I think that was relatively effective. But I don't think we could have gotten there with the the support that was offered, just because it was it, like I think at the end of the day, many software engineers receive a message differently when it comes from someone who has been a software engineer, and I would love for that to not be true, but it's certainly very true today. What kind of format did you use for the training? Was this a, like a single day group event? Was it spread out over a number of months? How, how did you structure that? We experimented with a few things um, because some of the participants were already in management roles. Because again, like at a high growth company, sometimes you have no choice but to put somebody kind of into the deep end on day one. Um, they already had manager schedules. So doing this as a full day would have been a challenge. So what we found was most effective is we broke this into five 90-minute sessions. And for several of those, we would have homework or exercises that we expected people to complete. Sometimes that was readings. Sometimes that was, hey, take this format of, of feedback we're talking about and actually find an opportunity to practice it. And if you can't practice it in the course of your work, reach out to us and let us know. The unanticipated benefit of that is by spacing out some of these installments as opposed to the full day, I think you have an opportunity to kind of revisit, reinforce, and actually create deeper learning than I think what you oftentimes get out of that single or two-day kind of deep immersion workshop approach. Makes a bunch of sense. And now you're the VP of engineering over at Signal. What are the main classes of things that you're focused on over there? The way we've structured it between Jason Yanowitz, my boss, the CTO, and, and myself here is that he's running uh, sort of the technology vision, our technology strategy. Uh, and obviously, that in informs our product roadmap. Obviously, that informs our strategy. But I'm more responsible for taking our product roadmap, taking those plans, and figuring out how, how do we put together the teams to not just succeed on those plans today, but succeed on them a year from now. And so I think it's that last part in particular that really means this year I'm developing a, a deeper strategy on how do we reinvest in the team we have? How do we make sure that Signal is the best place for engineers to grow their careers, for everyone to look at the next six months ahead of them and be really excited, not just about what we're going to go build and the, and the products we're going to ship, but also really excited about what they are going to get out of working at Signal. That sounds really interesting. What are some of the things that you're focusing on to, to create an environment where the engineers are like, wow, this is going to be great in terms of personal growth? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing uh, we, we want to do is Signal has had as a value for a long time, way before I, I came here last year, of uh, the value of feedback. And I, I want to continue and reinforce that, but also be clear on what we do with that feedback and what the expectations are on getting that feedback. Because all of that stuff was a little bit hand wavy, a little bit undefined. Uh, so specifically, what we're trying to do is get better about not just defining people's goals, but then also helping them define when do they want to get feedback about their progress on those goals and making clear that, that feedback needs to be specific and actionable and useful and helping them reach those goals. So 
for, for some in the audience, I'm sure this sounds pretty basic. For others, I'm sure it sounds like the worst of corporate HR uh, performance management strategies um, and, and very stale. What we're doing here is actually based on some research that came out of uh, Stanford and around a program that Adobe put in place back in 2013. And the, the goal of this really at a high level, or to get back to your question of you know how does this drive people's growth, is that I don't want to just identify goals. Uh, I'm making every manager in particular accountable for identifying how they are going to support those goals, what we are going to do as signal in order to set the, these individuals up for success. Um, and it's much less about trying to create a mechanism for accountability and much more trying to create transparency around what do people want to get out of here and how do we put them on the fast track to that? That sounds great. Well, Scott, thanks so much for taking the time to chat today. Absolutely a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. This episode was produced by the amazing team over at Dante32, a podcast production agency focusing on content strategy, audio production, and distribution. Check them out at Dante32.com. And if you'd like to receive new episodes as they're published, please subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps others to find the show. Thank you.